0: Welcome to the Why Invest podcast with me, Doug Barnett. In this series, we want to demystify the worlds of finance and investment. We're going to be speaking with industry experts, strategists, fund managers, and financial planners. We'll hear from investment professionals who are at the top of their game, but also entrepreneurs who need investment, technology specialists disrupting the world of investment, and good old fashioned, active allocators of capital. I guess this week was phenomenal. His name is Max Ward, and he's the co-founder of Luminous Ventures. Now, Luminous Ventures is a venture capital fund management firm based here in London that invests in early stage, deep tech, and deep science. Now, he gives a superb definition of both those terms. And we talked about AI, healthcare, and life sciences. Talking to him was a bit like looking into a crystal ball because a lot of the technologies he's investing in today are probably going to be all around us tomorrow. He was full of energy. He's had a really interesting career so far that we discuss. I know that he and his team at Luminous Ventures are going to be ones to watch for the future. Do check out their website uh, at luminous.vc. And without further ado, this is the Why Invest podcast. The information provided during this podcast does not constitute investment advice, and should not be relied on as such. It should not be considered a solicitation to buy or an offer to sell a security. Max Ward, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. Excited to be here. Max, how did you start your career? So
1: I started my career um, in a very different place to where I am now. Um, Although I think everything I've done along the way has been incredibly helpful for me for where I am today, but it certainly has been a... Um, a long and winding journey. So, classicist by background uh, from Cambridge, went to law school and then went to Slaughter and Maid to take a training contract in the city in, in, in the UK and London to, um, to to cut my teeth in the city. Um, spent five years there, learnt everything you, you, know, you could learn at the early stage of um, private M&A, public markets, takeovers, um, general deal-making in the city and, and general corporate life. Worked across Tokyo, Milan and London, but generally saw... With Slaughter & With Slaughter & May, yes. And then saw... Uh, wanted to do something more meaningful outside. Both my parents were entrepreneurs. I'd always wanted to do something more entrepreneurial and looked at doing something myself, but actually then got an opportunity to go into a very early stage entrepreneurial fund um, that was investing at the early stage within healthcare. And having done a number of healthcare, healthcare um, transactions at Sculpture and May, it was a sector that interest, interested me that would be able to both, for me, uh, enable me to work in a place where you could both deliver returns for your investors and have a very interesting in, and meaningful time on the business side as well as as well as leaving a lasting uh, impact so moved across into um, into the fund where we were doing two things Uh, this this, is luminous so this was called white cloud capital right okay and so this was back in 2015 and we were doing growth stage healthcare service investments so uh, we built the biggest IVF group um, in, in the UK second biggest in Europe Built that very much from, um, from scratch, really. That was uh, two clinics that we scaled up to 20 over, over time. So it was a very, um, very hands-on operational type of, type of investing. At the same time, we had a, a technology fund focused on, on healthcare um, and life science, um, which was more venture, very much venture capital, seed stage, getting in at the, the idea, idea stage early on and partnering with invest uh, with with founders to grow their businesses i ended up gravitating towards that so i thought it was more interesting more meaningful so the earlier stage exactly so that these were technology companies rather than service companies so the ivf businesses were they're very very strong robust businesses mm-hmm. but they are Essentially, you know, service businesses more mature, uh, more mature bricks okay. and mortar. Okay. I mean, there is some tech aspect to to what they do, but but more mature, uh, and profitable. Um, whereas we were investing in un, you know pre revenue uh, companies, interesting technologies within within um, healthcare and life science. And for me, that was an area hugely interesting, a great opportunity to get in at the ground level uh, as an investor, but work alongside your your founders as they grow their business. And then um, my partner and I, in in what is now Luminous Ventures, we did a management buyout sponsored by the investors um, to create, to to, to come out as an independent unit. So we. um, Just the two of you? Just the two of us. Mm -hmm. So we took the the venture side of the business um, into a new new vehicle, uh, rebranded as Luminous Ventures. And we chose the name, um, which is always fun, of course, uh, with, with the... How long did it take to choose the name? We actually had a kind of working title name, um, which was um, Silver Lining after coming out of White Cloud. But we, um, I, I think a couple of weeks. Um, and we went with um, Luminous because really our mission is to, to shine a light on deep tech and deep science ventures within Europe. And so, call it cheesy, but uh, that we ended up going with uh, with that, and um, have been building the brand, the name, the network, the team, uh, the the portfolio ever since. Um, so that's now nearly three years.
0: Mm-hmm. So you have a you came from a um, a, a legal background, as yeah. it were. Um, what? Where did your partner come from?
1: So my partner is an operator by background. Okay. Um, so she's founded and sold uh, three companies. Um, which gives us as a as a business. For me, it's it's very important when getting when investing at the stage that we do. Yes, investment experience is incredibly important, but that operational empathy is 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 just as important, if not more. So the way we set the team up is operators, investors, and domain experts, especially because what we're doing is so technical. So um, Izzy um, has deep operational experience and um, lived in Silicon Valley for, for six years, which we can maybe touch on in, in a bit later, but um, that's important because it gives us both a very, very good network in, in the US, but also a very good understanding of the company building experience as lived, lived in, within Silicon Valley, which has clearly been, as we know, and you guys will know from your public markets work, like, mm. has produced um, some phenomenal companies in the
0: last 20 years. And do you think that network uh, that Lizzie has, is that, um, is that helpful for deal flow? So the, the kind of companies that come across your um, radar or is it more helpful on the sort of um, fundraising side of the business?
1: So net- network um, network is a very, in, in the business that we're in, in venture capital, network is important for a number of you know, a number of reasons. And, 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 and so firstly, on the portfolio side clearly getting access to the best deals a lot of that it comes through both reputation and network so we focus on network really um, having as, as wide a relevant network as possible um, is, is, is a hugely important part of, of any successful venture capital fund. I, I encounter a lot of say family offices and high net worth individuals and just friends and, and other people and they always think that they have and I used to think this a lot too, that we have that there's thousands loads of startups, of, loads of deal flow. Yes, Everyone yes, thinks yes. they have amazing deal flow yeah. in in startups yeah. because because if, if, if you are in a position where you have capital to deploy, you will always have startups coming to your door. But to have very, 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 very good startups come to your door is very, very rare. Hmm. Um, and so that's where the network really, really kicks in. Um, the reputation plays an important part in that too, but... Um, seeing the deals there are deals that get done with third time fourth time founders that never even come to market those are the deals that you need to be getting into because the chances are that most startups will fail we all know that there's a very high failure rate so really the highest quality deals um, are very you know few and far between so it's being able to get into those so On network, the other very important part aspect of what we do is then once we get into the good companies, is helping them out. So in in terms of, for us, they need a lot of help on often hiring commercial partners. So for us, for example, to make introductions to big healthcare systems in the US as as commercial partners is really, uh, really value-add and important for us. Same on the hiring side, helping them hire. Often often the first hires when we invest are chief commercial officers. um, And so helping them with people who can really help them on the go to market strategy. And then the final point, of course, is we tend to invest in the first one to 5 million of a company's fundraising journey. Often, most of our companies will need to go on to raise 100, 200, 300 million. So for us to be able to introduce people who will lead the follow on round and the round after that, is hugely hugely important. So that network, network of later stage investors is another network um,
0: okay. that, that
1: we spend time on.
0: Going back to um, two phrases that you mentioned, deep tech and deep science. What is deep tech and what Sh- is deep Sure. Tech? So there's, I mean, certainly, I'm sure if
1: you ran if, if you ran some analysis, you'd see that these words, especially deep tech, is something that has really it's really entered the venture capital vernacular in the last three four years, and it's certainly getting. Um, banded around a lot more these days since it was first coined by a US VC um, five years ago. And, and everyone, I think, will have a different, different definition of it. But for us, it means that you're a company that is commercializing a particular technological or scientific innovation. So at the, key, at the heart of what you do, there is something innovative on the, on the technology or the science side. So I'll give you an example as perhaps of a company that's not a deep tech company and this is also what we saw a lot at white cloud which helped us when we were formulating the thesis of what we do is I think we saw Uber for boats twice in a month and we realized the world had gone a bit mad and what what you had was a you know talented entrepreneurs I'm sure but innovating on existing technologies and platforms that had matured And what we wanted to do, and where we saw the real opportunity, was to invest in companies that were the the next stage, the next platforms, the new technologies. So it's companies that have that new technology or scientific aspect to them, that we thought was where the opportunity was, and that's what we mean by deep tech. And I
0: guess the other does that mean you mm, avoid anything when someone comes to you and says, "This is the Uber for blank"?
1: Exactly. You avoid those. Yeah, exactly, and not because they're not good businesses. I mean, you know, for example. huge, huge businesses have been have been built off of the internet, mobile and cloud at the, with the marketplace model, hugely, well, Uber itself, of course, but, you know, hugely successful marketplaces. And there are there are plenty of VC funds in the US and Europe, who, who are experts in those and who still invest in those and for, for whom this is still a big opportunity. And it's not to say there's no opportunity there. It's to say that we saw an opportunity, which was a more of a white space, and at the same time, gave us um, the ability to invest in something that we really cared about in terms of leaving a legacy um, and and an impact. But yeah,
0: what do you think differentiates you from your competition? Um, and perhaps you could discuss your sort of investment process.
1: Yeah, so I think competition. I talk about from there's two aspects to to the competition in terms of in terms of. What we, where we face competition, there's competition for the best investments um, to, to, to win the best investments, and then there's competition to attract capital from investors to, to invest in our fund. Why would you invest in our fund as opposed to anybody else's? I think on the um, they're not mutually exclusive, of course, because winning the best deals, you know, will give you. Uh, the best track record, which means winning, you know, um, hopefully securing securing more investors. But if we just start on the competition, why would a founder choose Luminous as opposed to other yeah. other venture capital funds? I think, first of all, we have, because we have, a lot of venture capital funds are generalists. They will invest in any sector, any technology. They tend to have a thesis on stage. So they tend to be, tend to invest, for example, at seed mm. or pre-seed or series A or series B. Let's define these. Yes. Seed. Okay. Pre-seed, so, so we'll so we'll start with pre, so pre-seed effectively is is you could say a guy, a girl, and a shed and a pitch mm-hmm. deck. So it's really just a, an idea. Um, seed for me is where you've started to build your your product. Um, you have maybe an MVP, a minimum viable product. You've talked to early customers. You've you've determined roughly what your go-to-market strategy would be, and you are now raising money to test those assumptions to, um, to create a repeatable, um, a scalable business. And then Series A is really when you've created something that you know, or you think you know, and have a very good signal that the market wants your product. You, you're at a stage where you're, you have a repeatable, scalable business model, or you at least have line of sight on it. You have what venture capitalists call product market fit so you have a product that people want to buy and you know pay for and use and 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 so that's when you get to series a and then and then you move to series b c and d which effectively are just growth scale up rounds um, enabling you to sell more products or services um after you've just, just established product market fit
0: and just return to your thoughts on on competition so competition
1: um, so for us we say in terms of founders so we we have a So we have a thesis, unlike generalists, which means that our network and our understanding and our experience of building companies within our field, so this is, this is deep tech and deep science ventures within human health, so healthcare, life science, food, nutrition, it means that we have on the Luminous platform a deep experience of building those businesses, so that's how we can differentiate. I think the other thing is when we compare ourselves to other funds who perhaps have that thesis is... Because of, for example, Izzy's experience and, and the fact that we we as a team spend a lot of time in the Valley and are deeply connected there, the way we um, like to phrase it is that we bring Internet era um, company building strategies to deep tech companies and apply them that way. So really, um, it's taking the successful model of company building in, in the US and applying it to more scientific Um, Companies coming out of the UK so it's really thinking for example around how do you um, go to market in the smartest most capital efficient way Um, a bad example in in the UK which we've often seen is is the mentality of build it and they will come so really you know beavering away on R&D working hard not speaking to customers not thinking around what they want but, but assuming that once exactly once you've once you've completed your R&D and built the tech or built the product that people will just automatically want it, the best founders that we work with are actually building their products with customers and even getting customers to pay for some of the build through early pilot contracts. So really, for example, um, having an appreciation for that is something that we have a deep experience of and and helping founders on that journey. Um, And so I think for me, that's how we, we... I guess the final point on that is... Getting very very hands on. So we we're the lead investor for most of our investments. We take a board seat. Um, we become quasi members of the of the operations team. So the areas that we like to help and um, cover with cover cover across across the um, the company spectrum is so uh, hiring, uh, intellectual property strategy, um, uh, PR and marketing. Um, for me are the areas where we can really really help our founders um, and they're basic, they sound basic but they're hugely important and hugely difficult you know um, So that's what we really like to roll our sleeves up and get involved with. So
0: that's from a founder's perspective. What about from an investor perspective? So I
1: think ultimately it comes down to returns. you, you need to you need to show top top quartile top decile returns. Mm-hmm. So a VC fund will a seed stage venture capital fund is a just just to be clear here, often it, it their 10-year uh, funds um, and will, they will invest for the first four or five years and then spend the next six years harvesting the returns, selling companies. They will aim, so a top decile fund will aim to deliver a 4x uh, return on your money. So we're looking at, you know, well north of, of 30% mm-hmm. um, internal rates of return if, if, um, if that is your mm-hmm. metric. But four times the money is it's really the north star. Um, and so we need to show that we both have a credible plan in which to deliver that and have done that in the past. So the second way we differentiate or the way that we would differentiate from competition is that we are a mission driven thesis the fund. So we are investing in technologies, founders and science that will positively impact both the planet and, and mankind. So there's certain we are not an impact fund. We are a returns focused fund but there's a huge impact through what we are doing at Luminous. And so for some family offices, for example, who are more mission-driven, um, yes, the returns are important, but the the mission-driven aspect is equally equally as important. So that's how we differentiate ourselves from um, from other, um, okay. other funds.
0: What was your first investment at Luminous Ventures? Well, the first one we did was
1: a company called BioBeats. So BioBeats is... Um, a company in health uh, in mental health, um, 2015. One of the first digital health companies to be focused on mental health. And there's a lot in the press um, and the news around mental health, clearly because of COVID, but I think it, even pre-COVID it had been growing and getting traction and prominence um, even before then. And there'd been some successful businesses that have been you know, um, created and um, have, have very good traction. But in 2015, this certainly, this definitely was not the case. Um, it was an area actually quite an unloved area by by the investment community and actually by by, by customers uh, to which tend to be you know employers corporates they were starting to think about this but they 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 were nowhere near thinking about this as much as they are now so biobeats was using machine learning to um, diagnose and quantify stress and then give you feedback um, as, as to how you can manage your stress so mm-hmm. Um, It particularly was focused on heart rate variability. So it was a combination of a wearable and an app. Um, and would, uh, based on your heart rate variability and various other indicators, would give you a score for your stress, quantify it, and then give you interventions to to try and um, fix the fix the problem.
0: And what stage of the lifecycle did you get
1: in? So we got in at seed. So, um, so they'd already taken on some pre-seed investment, right, some okay. early early stage um, when it was just an idea. Yeah. Um, and actually, that the founder has an amazing story. He was clinically clinically dead for um for half an hour in brussels airport in 2012 i think it was he had a, he'd had a heart attack sorry and he looked back into why what had happened and it was a stress-induced heart attack so that's why he he founded the business so he was a great storyteller and uh, raised some money and then um, when we met them they had initial commercial traction so the product was built or it was certainly mvp Um, with good line of sight on the final product and they had early customers in the form of big insurance companies in in the UK. Um, And we invested um, a million pounds um, in a a seed round.
0: Okay, gotcha. What other sectors um, are you excited about at the moment? We're
1: excited about healthcare, we're excited about life science, we're excited about food. I mean, AI is a platform technology that we have a thesis that is becoming more and more pervasive. I mean, people refer to it as the new electricity. Um, so the application of AI to those fields for us is particularly interesting. So hang on.
0: People are saying it as new history. I mean, is this the data, is the new oil, electricity is the new, yeah. uh, or AI is the new electricity? Yeah. So that, it, do you think that's
1: overblown? Uh, I think there's a lot. Yes, I think there's a lot of, it's, it's no simplification of, of it and it's, it clearly um, it's clearly much more nuanced than that. And I think we're clearly AI is now on every single deck that I, that I see. Um, and so there's definitely, um, hype, um, and a lot of buzz around it. And there will be some casualties. There will be companies that are out there touting their wares as, as big AI companies and will, I'm sure, um, get it wrong or not deliver on the promises that, that they're making, um, but truly, I've seen it and I know it because there are companies in our portfolio where AI is incredibly, um, can deliver some phenomenal results, um, which are incredibly impactful. Mm. So I, I know that... So what's mm. some examples of that? Okay, I'll give you an, one example. It's a good one. It's in healthcare again, but I think it's, it's a very, very good example is a company called um, Optelum, which is a spin out from Oxford University, um, targeting initially lung cancer, um, will become a broader lung health company. And so what they do is um, Optelum uses a form of machine learning, so machine learning being a form of AI itself, mm-hmm. effectively teaching machines with vast quantities of data to, um, uh, to perform a certain task. Um, and they are able to detect lung cancer um, based on um, CT scans at an earlier stage than would otherwise be, um, be possible. I, I suppose what they are doing is they're not replacing doctors. I think that's one, one thing I think, again, goes back to the overpromise of AI. Mm-hmm. There's this image that suddenly we're all going to get replaced. I mean, you'll you you know, you'll get replaced, I'll get replaced. We'll all get replaced. Yeah. I think that may well happen in 50 years' time. Um, it's not happening anytime soon. And, and Optelum is another good example. Mm-hmm. What Optelum does is it doesn't replace the doctor it augments the doctor. Mm-hmm. And we have very, very good studies to show this, that the doctor by himself or herself is inferior to the doctor uh, with the software. Mm-hmm. Um, so in that case, what, what the technology can do is spot, is spot lung cancer on CT scans uh, at the earliest stage and flag it to doctors. And it's getting great traction selling that into, um, into US hospitals.
0: How do you prove the concept and how do you... Um I mean, it sounds like you have Oxford University, or you can partner with some of these institutions. But um, what do you hang the investment sort of thesis on? Does it need to be around AI? Does it need to be on the founders?
1: Yeah, for for us, it's founders, really. I mean, there there needs to be, as I said, there needs to be some some innovation that makes it interesting and worthwhile, that you can actually there's actually something uh, a business that you can build off the back of, and they have a unique proposition. But for us, it's all about the founders. As I said, we're getting in at at seed, which is incredibly early. And quite often, 99% of the time, the business that we invest in will pivot and change many, many times during the course of the, the company building journey. So for us, it's really found and again, I think this also differentiates. This is one of the ways. So, just
0: mm. on that point, on the pivoting and, and changing, yeah. how do you control and make sure that there isn't sort of scope creep and um, that the capital that you allocated originally um, uh, isn't being used and diluted um, elsewhere? The, do you see what I mean?
1: Look, you have very little control over that because you are often a, minor, you are a minority investor owning anywhere from five to 20% of the company. And in a way, you don't want to have a lot of control over that. Like ultimately you're backing founders and their ability to sniff out the commercial opportunities. And I'll give you a couple of examples as to why pivots are not a bad thing. These are not in our portfolio, but Slack, which you will know, um, which many of you may use, um, is a, um, you know, I think the market cap of Slack is, well, you'll probably tell me better now, 20 20 billion? Over 20
0: billion. Yeah,
1: over 20 billion and, and IPO'd last year. Slack started out, uh, founded by Stuart Butterfield as a computer game, they, they raised 15 million dollars from USVCs to to build a computer game. The computer game garnered some 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 interest. It became a bit of a kind of cult status um, game, um, but ultimately not enough to build a big business off the back of. So they then. Uh, because they created Slack to uh, communicate as a team, they then pivoted completely to commercializing what is now Slack. Mm-hmm. It's the same with Instagram. Instagram was not a photo sharing platform when Andreessen invested in it. Mm-hmm. Um, it was some, doing something completely different. And I think, so if, if you try and control too much where the founders sniff out the opportunities as a VC, you end up um, you, you end up in, in trouble. This is not a private equity style investment where you control the company and the management effectively work for you. It's the other way around. And that's why when we invest, clearly we need to look at the tech and the science, but we're really optimizing for the best founders that we can that we can
0: work with. That's so interesting and an interesting distinction between VC and um, private equity. Um, now you're investing a- across the world. How do, how do regulations play their part? Um, and you know, I gather you've now you are now able to invest in in Taiwan. Um, what what part of the investment process does that play? Do you have to lean on your l- legal background? So in terms of
1: deploying capital into companies. There's very, very little restriction. I think we can deploy capital um, pretty freely around the world and not not run into the, those kind of problems. In the US, I, I guess, you know, what we're seeing with Brexit now and you have seeing in the US is certainly around protected technologies, which can include AI as is, is a, is a part of that. There will be more restrictions coming in around foreign investors, I mean, particularly, obviously, you've seen this in the US with China, um, foreign investors um, investing in companies where the technology is sensitive. But for 95% of what we do, it's it's not an issue at all. On the fundraising side, it's just, uh, I guess, there's a a compliance point that every single country has its own rules about marketing Mm -hmm. uh, funds. So we, um, we just need to make sure that we, we cover that.
0: So going back to your portfolio, what other um, names are you, are you excited about? And, and um,
1: A couple of... Um, yeah, yeah, sure. I mean, I'm excited about a lot of them, of course. Um, you have to be excited as a VC. It's, it's, um, it's an important part of, of what we do. Hugely excited about a company called Synthase. So Synthase is... A, I talked about automation and augmentation. And that is something that we're seeing in the life science industry. Um, so... As as you may well know, the you know the failure rate for taking drug candidates to, to market is 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 huge. In fact, I think probably you know Moore's law is well known in terms mm-hmm. of um, exactly in terms mm-hmm. of semiconductors. Um, there is a law um, termed Eroom's law, which is Moore's law backwards. Uh, which uh, effectively dictates that the cost of dr- discover- bringing a new drug to market doubles every seven years. Mm. So it now costs roughly $2 to bring one drug to market. The reason for that is increased regulation. Mm. The fact that the easy drugs have already been discovered, so it's it's now harder, um, mm-hmm. the main reasons behind that. But, but that is a big problem, which in life science it means that actually... We've been looking at ways. Are there smart ways that you can help reduce that cost? So Synthase is an example. They bring automation into laboratories. It's software that you can write your experiments into. It's connected to all the various different pieces of hardware you have in your lab. And you can effectively automate a big part of the um, experiments um, that you're running. And yes, it may reduce your headcount in the lab. But more importantly, it saves you time. And time is the key thing here, so it means that you're where you have a successful experiment, repeatability is one of the key things in wet lab life science. And because you've written it in the software, you, you actually can go back and check well, this is exactly what we did, and you have a much more auditable trail of where you know where things work and where they didn't. So, Synthase, a uh, company um, based um, originally um, connected with UCL in, in London. Have, we invested at Seed, they've gone on to raise um, significant amounts of capital from international investors. Um, after our investment, we still, we still on the board, we're still very involved, and the company is now scaling, selling into small biotech uh, companies, big pharma companies, um, and is growing at, at a very, very, very fast rate.
0: I mean, a lot of the companies that you'll be investing in have superb growth trajectories. How do you make sure that that growth um, comes back to shareholders? And make sure that um, you're investing for returns rather than just growth.
1: Yeah. So I think one of the, we are investing, it's a cap, we, we see capital returns, you know, dividends don't really play a, play a part in venture. So um, what we are looking to create is companies that, you know, have the ability to either IPO or will be of significant strategic importance to, you know, most most exit events for VC backed portfolio Companies come through m a and so we're looking for companies that will have significant strategic value to um, to large corporates and they will come in and, and pay and, and, and they won't they won't be bought on for example often companies are valued on the multiple mm-hmm. of their of their revenue or profit they will be bought for strategic reasons mm-hmm. um, as effectively an outsourced r d strategy mm-hmm. from from the big big corporate so for us the, the the things to worry about in terms of
0: Making is that sure. your normal sort of exit route, as it were. Yeah. Is that your normal. I mean, do you, Is there such a thing as a publicly listed public listing exit anymore? I mean.
1: lots of the, the big digital health and um, life science companies have had no problem getting away in the US. Um, for us, it's obviously been harder in, in Europe. Um, so M and A is often the route. One thing that we have been doing with our companies, especially as I mentioned earlier, that we we help our companies out often, often with getting the, the next round of investors to go in and, and, and commercializing in the U.S. We often actually end up um, putting a U.S. hold co on top quite early on and they uh, end up raising money over there, which will also mean that they have the ability to tap the, cap- the capital markets or you know move into. Um...
0: Will that be dilutive for you then?
1: Yeah. So at the seed stage. So. Exactly, ownership is a huge issue in VC that I think gets doesn't get enough enough airtime. You'll often see um, funds um, bragging about being involved with X or Y unicorn, but really, clearly, what is the biggest driver of returns for a VC fund? Well, it's it's a multiple of the exit value times by your ownership. And having a you know fingernail in, in a big company doesn't mean anything if you're trying to deliver a you know 100 million pound you know fund. So um, we do get diluted. We, it's part of our model. We expect to get diluted, um, which is why when we have the initial conversations with founders, we need to make sure that we get enough ownership. So we target between 10 and 20 percent ownership at the beginning, with the expectation that we'll be diluted. 50 to 60% through the life of, of the company. For the good companies, we will clearly follow on. So we will invest through um, two more rounds after we invest to hold our position, but then we will ride um, ride the dilution after that.
0: Oh, interesting. Now, um, we're talking in a, well, cloudy, um, uh, on a rather cloudy mm-hmm. day in London. Um, do you think you're at a disadvantage being here in London? Um, and, and maybe it goes back to that deal flow? Um, So I think
1: in in, in the context of Europe, London is one of the best places to be. I think in the rule of thumb, roughly is, you know, about a third of the capital that gets deployed into European VC comes, you know, happens in the UK and predominantly London. Uh, We obviously have some two, two, three fantastic universities in in London, if if not more, to Cambridge, to Oxford. Bristol, for example, which is actually a, a really um, fast-growing, interesting hub, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think being in London when it comes to Europe is great because what do you need in startups? You need capital and you need talent. And we we have the capital in Europe is, is, is here. Um, and talent has been here because we have very, very, very good universities. And we also have a very... Um, a very friendly business environment compared to parts of Europe, and so clearly we've attracted a lot of good entrepreneurs to, to, to the UK. I'm, I hope that will continue um, post Brexit. Um, so, so for me, at least in, in Europe, it's, it's a good place to be. Um, in terms of the US, like deeper deeper capital, very strong entrepreneurs, very very good talent that you need to you can hire for your companies. Um, look, I, I think. The UK is, is certainly get, producing more success stories um, when it comes to to what we do. Um, and there are some fantastic companies that are reaching very, very good valuations and, and will um, produce very meaningful exits for the, for the mm-hmm. ecosystem. But look, it's undoubted that in what we do, Boston is still one of the leading hubs and San Francisco will continue to be. And, and Toronto is actually a very interesting ecosystem in Canada. Um, so we spend a lot of time there mm-hmm. is the answer. Um, but we still think the opportunity is, is is big in the UK there's a big gap to lots of catching up to do but that's an opportunity
0: changing tag thinking about and we've talked a lot on um, on this series about uh, interest rates and the cost of capital and and the effect that's having on various industries effect to low and negative interest rates have um, on the venture capital unions uh, universe and are you seeing a, a misallocation of capital
1: as a, as a venture capitalist who raises money myself and you know also needs my companies to raise significant amounts of money i think it's 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 a good thing for us in the sense that it, it means that people are looking elsewhere for um, for their returns and, and and they often come in come into to our space so for me it's um it's definitely a a a, a
0: benefit. Um, in terms of, have you of, seen so, so? Let's take five years, last five years. Have you seen a, 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 a sort of institutional size allocation, large allocation, um, switch and allocations to VC funds?
1: Yes, um, I think especially in Europe. So Europe's growing um, in terms of VC capital allocated to VC. We're growing at around ten to. a year Um, and so yes there's certainly and that's a product of both I think the interest rate environment but I think it's also a product of um, actually in Europe there being more success stories we now have big companies like Adyen Spotify Klarna um, that you can point to as success stories for what's going on um, on the continent
0: Hmm. final question I've asked many of our guests this but (laughs) What advice would you give to our sort of younger audience, so the graduates or the associates who are listening? Um, Where are the skills scarcity um, across your universe?
1: I'm biased on this, um, obviously, but I will give you what I think I would do if I had my time. If I had my time again or if I was graduating now. You're not that old, Max. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) If I... Um, if I was graduating now, so if the first of all, there's a high chance you're going to live for a lot longer than you know your, your parents and, and even us, quite frankly. So you have a long time. I would be if it was me. I think the sciences, especially, in, there's huge opportunity in the sciences now with what's happening. You can see what's happening in, with synthetic biology. That's the the engineering of uh, applying engineering principles to biology. And it unlocks things, for example, like, you know, clean meat, the future of food, like really impacts important things. I think what's happened in the UK in the last five years is that going into entrepreneurship has become much more accepted. And people are no longer feeling so constrained to go into the traditional banking, law, accountancy, etc. And, you know, granted, I, I did that myself, but I think there's a huge opportunity now to um, double down on your education, so graduate. Consider doing a PhD. You have time. Don't worry about that. Um, the UK has historically been run by generalists, classicists like me. You know Boris Johnson. These kind of, I think that's going to change. I think that everything will become more technocratic, and I think therefore I would encourage. Dominic Cummings. Well, exactly. I I, I would encourage who himself was a generalist. He's clearly he's yeah, a, logical, hobby, yeah. he's a hobbyist scientist a bit a bit like me. And probably, if he probably, if he had his time again, um, he would probably find himself um, doing, maybe, maybe he'd be issuing the same advice as me. Mm. But I would be looking to, first of all, um, to do a PhD in an area and, and, and specialise in an area that was both technical, but at the same time important for the next 50 years. I think, think of something that's going to be important in the next 50 years. And I'll give you an example I mentioned just then, food. I think we are going to be struggling to feed the planet in 2050. And 2050 is round the corner, quite frankly. So if you can do something that tackles that challenge and devote your career to that, you will not only do something meaningful, you will, I'm sure, if you're interested in making money, you will make a lot of money, um, which for me is a is a hugely meaningful thing to do. And I would I would encourage graduates to think in that way um, rather than kind of feeling you know f- being forced into something short term by society um, and and end up compromising so Max Ward thanks for joining thanks for me. having me
0: bye thank you for listening to the Y Invest podcast with me Doug Barnett and our guest this week Max Ward from Luminous Ventures as I said at the beginning I thoroughly recommend checking out their website at luminous.bc you can see some of the companies that they've invested in and founders that they backed uh it's really interesting and if you've enjoyed the podcast today then do like it and subscribe to it and tell your friends about it